You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Amen, amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, church family. Good to see you. Glad you're here this morning. Thanks, Chris and worship team for leading us. Um, if you're a guest with us, I want to welcome you. My name is Jordan. I'm one of our pastors here at Redeemer. I get to serve us in vision and preaching and it is such an honor and a privilege to get to gather together with the church week by week. And so I'm so glad that, that you're here. I want to welcome those. I know we've got a lot of people online this morning, so I want to say hi to you. If you can hear me, I think we might have been having some issues with that, but maybe, maybe that's fixed. So if you can hear me, hey to you. Uh, glad you're here. If you have a Bible, open to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're beginning the new year by considering our relationship with the church, which is maybe kind of an, an odd thing to think about. But uh, we often talk about our relationship with God. But there's also a reality that as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we um, receive the gift of grace in which God extends to us through the person and work of Jesus. We are brought into a relationship with God. But the Bible is also really clear that as we know God, we also are brought into a relationship with God's people, the church. And so we want to dig into the scriptures, uh, particularly in Acts chapter 2, and really consider as we start a new year, what is God's plan for the church? What is the church as it should be? In fact, the Bible It gives us several images to help us understand our relationship to the local church. The Bible tells us that the church is Jesus's bride and Jesus loves the church, loves his bride. And so we are to love the church. The Bible tells us that uh, the church is Jesus's body in which Christ is the head and fills all in all. And that we are the parts, that we are uh, members. We are independently members of one another. We're interconnected and interdependent. And belong to one another. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, we get this kind of cool image where Peter says the church is like a living temple in which we are individual stones. He says living stones. And we've been mortared together by the blood of Christ to make a living temple in which God's presence dwells among us. We make God known in the world like a living temple. The church, the Bible is clear, is important to Jesus And he has promised to us that the good news of the gospel will go forward in the world through the church. And he's even said that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. But we know that it will try. And that through the centuries and ages, the church has had highs and lows. We need to also acknowledge this morning, as important as the church is, that the church can also be really confusing. That there are dozens of different denominations and traditions and models of church. Each one of us, depending upon our background and experience, probably have a unique relationship with the church. Some of you, maybe this is your first time to step into a church gathering, and we're so glad that you're here. Maybe you're coming in with a blank canvas. You're actually better off than most of us, if that's you. A lot of us are coming in perhaps with some baggage as it relates to the church. I know that there are some, the church has been a place of pain and brokenness. There's no shortage of stories of Brokenness in the church today, especially in North America, abusive leadership in the church. But for others of you, the church has been a beautiful place, a place of belonging and a place of healing and a place of where you found um, you found grace and you found more of the living God. And so um, it's important that we acknowledge these things and that we even take some time to think about what is the church and how should it function? Because Jesus has died for us. Jesus has risen for us. Jesus has given his spirit to us. Jesus has tasked us with his mission in the world until he comes again, bringing the fullness of the kingdom. We are to be his church. We are to be his church 
as it should be. And that's exactly what we're exploring in this series, going back to where it all began in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, where we're given what Michael Goheen calls the blueprint for the church in all times, in all places. And so far as we've been examining this blueprint in Acts 2, 42 through 47, here's what we've seen. We've seen that first and foremost, the blueprint tells us that the church ought to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. It says they were devoted, they were given over to the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? Well, we talked about that. It basically means they were, the apostles were teaching them about the work and the ways of Jesus. The work, the event of the gospel, what Jesus really did. He really lived and he really died and he really rose again and he really appeared to them and he really ascended into heaven that God has done something. God is offering us something in the event of the gospel, in the work of Christ. It also means that because of the work of Christ, there's new life offered to us, salvation. And we are to learn the ways of Christ. We're to learn and live the ways of Christ. So we're devoted to the apostles' teaching. We are centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's step one of the blueprint. And then last week we talked about the next part of the text. We see that the church was functioning like a family. It was a diverse group of people, but they were all coming together, anchored in Jesus and the new life they've experienced in Christ. And they lived with a deep sense of unity and generosity, meeting one another's needs. They lived like a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. Beautiful picture. And today we will see that the church as it should be is a witness. The church as it should be is a witness. It's a witness to the new life of the Holy Spirit. Or we could say it this way. The church as it should be is a spirit-filled church. A Holy Spirit-filled church. Now, step one, as we start to work our way through what that means, is that we need to drop off our baggage as it relates to the Holy Spirit. Okay, we need to drop off our baggage. This is certainly a topic where there is lots of baggage. I've I've traveled more than normal in the last year. I'm doing a degree program, which requires me to fly a few times a year. And I really I've just determined that I'm done with the whole carry on baggage thing. I'm just done with it. Like, it's just not worth it. You know, you got the backpack with the stuff you need and, and then most importantly, like the snack you want to eat on the plane. You got the backpack and then you got the little rolly bag and you're trying to make your way through all the long lines now that exist. And, and, uh, and then, you know, I'm, I'm pretty notorious for forgetting to check in. And so I don't check in. So I'm usually like C, boarding group, which means I'm a middle seat guy. So I've got the rolly bag and the backpack and I'm a middle seat guy. Everything's full. I'm just done with it. Like carrying the baggage is not worth it. I'm now going to check my bags all the time, even if it means I have to wait a little bit longer, even if it means that there's a risk that maybe my bags could get left or lost. The freedom of not having to carry the wheelie bag through the crazy airports right now and on crazy flights is worth it to me. I think in a similar way, there is some freedom this morning for us, even if it means opening ourselves up to something uncomfortable to checking our baggage. It's likely that even when I said the phrase spirit-filled, there's a variety of different reactions or associations that popped up in your mind. I mean, some of you, I know some of you, I know you've told me stories. Some of your upbringings, maybe were in a, in a tradition in which when you hear spirit-filled, you start thinking about like waving flags and charming snakes. And then others of you are like, what? You're like, yeah, that's a thing. Some people do that. And that's what they associate with the Holy Spirit. Just kind of some, what people might call charismania in the church. 
Others of you have maybe had great experiences, and you're like, yes, the Spirit. We need Him, and we want Him, and we want, we want more of Him. And I'm sure there's been even some in between. The, the best place for us to start this morning, to check our baggage, and to, and to really uh, be freed up a bit to receive the Spirit for who He is and what He offers is in the Scriptures. I want to check our baggage in the Scriptures, and I want to start in Acts chapter 1. So flip backwards a page, if you're already open to Acts 2, to Acts chapter 1. And I want to read verses 6 through 11. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 11. And we want to try and answer the question here, who is the Holy Spirit and what does he, what does he do? It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And so this is Jesus' disciples, the one who had recently been cowering and hiding after Jesus had been crucified. Now Jesus is risen, so they're with the risen Jesus, and they're asking him a question. Jesus, are you going to do the kingdom thing now? Are you going to bring the kingdom now? And here's what Jesus says to them. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were gazing on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will come again the same way as you've seen him go into heaven. This is a phenomenal passage. We could do a whole series just in this passage. But let me just kind of tell you the the point of the passage here. Jesus essentially tells them, there's a task for you. There's There's a task. There's a mission for you. You are to be my witnesses. You're to go and tell and show and share. Witness to what? To the event of the gospel. And to the salvation offered in the gospel, the new life and the salvation and what God is offering to a broken, sinful humanity. You're going to go and witness to it, witness to who I am and what I've done and what I'm offering in the gospel. And then he says, but this isn't a task that you can do on your own. It's a task in which you need a new power. It's not something you can do in your flesh, in the old human way. And in the, in, in the, in we'll look at this later in Romans chapter 8. In the way of sin and death, you actually need something new to empower you to witness to the life-giving reality, the salvation of Jesus Christ. So you're going to need the Holy Spirit. And it's important for us to recognize that here in Acts chapter 1, Jesus didn't just kind of make up the, the, the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament is very clear about the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 1, we're told the Spirit is hovering over the waters, active, and even in the work of creation. In fact, the prophets, we spent all fall in Jeremiah, and we saw how the prophets spoke about the coming Messiah. All across the prophets, they not only talk about the Messiah who would come, the Savior King that God promised would come, but they talk about when the Messiah comes, he will give a new spirit. In Joel chapter 2, In Ezekiel 37, in Jeremiah 31, Joel, in Joel 2, Joel talks about a day. There's going to be a day when God's spirit is poured out on all humankind. Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel talks about the spirit will come. So when the Messiah comes, a new spirit's going to come. And he says, the spirit is going to come like a wind. And the wind is going to come and it's going to bring life out of death. 
In Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah, he talks about the Messiah who would come. And he says, when the Messiah comes, the spirit will accompany him and the spirit will bring about new hearts. In other words, he says, old hearts that were bent away from God. Now the spirit is going to produce a flesh in our hearts that actually bends us toward God. It makes us, helps us love God. I want to know God. The spirit's going to be this drawing agent. In fact, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, in the Hebrew, the word ruach, and in the Greek, the word pneuma, the, the, the literal word in your Bible, either Old Testament or New Testament, when you see spirit, talking about the spirit of God, it's literally the word wind. I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to think about that for a second. We've had, we've had some windy days, haven't we? And I was like, this was helpful for me. Yesterday, uh, stuff was getting blown all over the yard, and we we're walking out of a basketball game, and we're getting blown across the parking lot, and I'm like, this is helpful. Thank you, Lord. This is going to be good for my sermon tomorrow. I want you to think about the wind and its most, and its most, most basic meaning, wind. Think about it. We can see it. We can't see it, but we can feel it, right? It, it, can, it, can, it can blow gently, a refreshing, cooling wind. It can blow gently or it can gust and it can bend trees and blow basketball goals over in the driveway, Right? And it's both in its most basic meaning. We'll come back to this in a minute, but it should help us understand the activity of the spirit. We can't see it, but we can feel it. We can we can't see it, but we can see what it does. We can see what it produces. We can see how it gently blows the leaves in the tree or it breaks and snaps off branches. And so we're told there's a task. The task is to be Jesus's witnesses. We're told the task can't be done without the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus promises, whom the prophets spoke about. Now fast forward to Acts chapter 2. Flip over or look over in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So it said, when the day of Pentecost arrived, so there's that word day. Remember Joel talked about a day in which the Spirit would be poured out. When the day of Pentecost arrived, They were all together in one place, talking about the disciples. They're waiting, as Jesus told them to do. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Luke is no doubt connecting dots here to Ezekiel. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And it divided tongues as and divided tongues as a fire appeared on them. By the way, in Ezekiel 37, not only does he talk about the spirit coming with the Messiah, bringing the spirit like a wind, but he also talks about wind and fire. So Luke is connecting dots here, no doubt. It says, tongues of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues. That literally means languages. As the spirit gave them speech. So this is coming from the Spirit. The Spirit is giving them something to empower them for the task. The task was that they would be witnesses, tellers of Jesus and what he's done. Look at verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And And at this sound, the multitudes came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them, talking about the disciples, speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? There were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and Gentiles, Cretans and Arabians. 
We hear them telling in our own language the mighty work of God. Do you see the task that Jesus has given? And do you see the empowerment of the Spirit for the task? Do you see the day of the Spirit being poured out? Now flip over to Acts chapter 2, 37 through 38. I want you to hear this. Remember, we're checking our baggage. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Who's he talking about? Who's they? All of these people from all over the nations that are gathered in Jerusalem on this day. As they are hearing the works of God proclaimed in their own language in an astonishing way by these Galileans. It says the spirit does something in them. So not only is the spirit of God working through empowering the apostles, but the spirit is working amongst them. Look, at they're cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. In other words, he's saying, turn from your old ways and trust in Jesus, the Messiah, and then make that faith public through baptism. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you see it? Who is the Holy Spirit? It's, well, it's the presence of God dwelling among us and within us. The presence of God awakening us to Jesus. And what is he doing for people? Well, he's opening eyes. He's piercing their hearts. He's awakening faith. He's filling them upon faith. That's the promise. That upon faith in Jesus, you'll, be, you'll receive the gift of the Spirit. You'll be indwelt with the Spirit. The Spirit is awakening hearts and filling people and producing faith. And the Holy Spirit not only fills us, but produces and empowers new life in Christ. He leads us. He convicts us. He encourages us. He empowers us. For what? To what end? Leading us into the new life of Jesus. Making us witnesses. That's the point. That's the task. The Holy Spirit is not something or someone that we should be skeptical of. I heard someone say one time that some people... I'm not really sure what to do with the Holy Spirit. He's kind of like the drunk uncle of the Trinity. You know, he's like, you know, when he shows up, things get weird. Like there's some people that view it that way. The Holy Spirit is not someone or something that we should be skeptical of. The Holy Spirit is also not an experience that we should chase. Chasing these uh, supernatural spiritual experiences of the Holy Spirit. That's not who he is. Instead, we should recognize that knowing the person of the Holy Spirit is essential to the Christian life and it's essential to our identity as the church. The Holy Spirit is an empowering presence that transforms us into witnesses, witnesses to the salvation and the new life given to us in Jesus. I want you to know that this isn't all the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit also works to form us into a community. Now that we've maybe dropped some baggage with the Holy Spirit, let's flip over to Acts 2, 42 through 47. That's been our primary text in this series. And I want you to see how it is the Holy Spirit who is forming and fueling the church as a worship community. Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. 
And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings. They were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want you to know. That it is the person and work of the Holy Spirit that is fueling all of this. It is the Holy Spirit who is the wind in the sails of this new community. It is the Holy Spirit that is bringing this diverse group of people together and producing unity around Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that is fueling their devotion, their devotion and hunger to learn more of Jesus, who he is and what he's done and what it means for their life. It is the Holy Spirit that is fueling their devotion to the fellowship. That is, it is the Holy Spirit that is producing in them a generosity that would say, you have a need. I have resources. I will meet your need because we are family in Christ. We exist to be a community that is a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit that is fueling their devotion to prayer, not to worry or anxiety, but to pray, to draw near to God. It is the Spirit that is fueling and forming this new church, this new community. And there are two specific things that I really want to point out in the text. The first is in verse 43. I want to talk about how the Spirit manifests itself in the church, in the new church community. First is in verse 43. It says, all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. It's interesting. I I want you to, to remember that Luke is writing a summary statement here in this text. Luke is giving us kind of the details moment by moment of what's happening in Acts. And then he zooms out at different points in the, in the narrative. I think it's about six times. And he gives us a summary. And this is the first of those summaries, Acts 2, 42 through 47. We get another summary in Acts 4. We get another one at the end of chapter 6. But in this, remember, this is a summary. And so what he's doing is he's given us a concise snapshot of the many things that are taking place. And he wants us to know that the Holy Spirit's power is manifesting itself in some extraordinary ways. Okay? There are extraordinary manifestations of the Spirit's power in the church. In other words, what he's showing us is that in this first church, the wind is there and the wind is gusting, okay? It is gusting in some powerful ways. Specifically, he says, the apostles were empowered to do miraculous signs and wonders. That word signs, it literally means proofs. Proofs. They are doing things that are proving that Jesus is risen and alive. He doesn't tell us what those things are that they're doing. Kind of leaves it for us to fill in the blank with our own imagination. But there are some signs that are happening that are proving what they're preaching. That Jesus is risen and that he's the Messiah. And that you should submit yourself, surrender yourself to him and receive his forgiveness and receive his grace. It also tells us that they are doing wonders. That word wonders, it literally means that there is kind of a transcendent moments, transcendent things that are happening. Or in other words, there are marvel moments. There are moments that are causing people to marvel. Let me just give you layman's translation for verse 43. Okay, here it is. God was doing amazing things through them. And it was humbling people. That's literally what verse 43 means. Awe comes over them. Humility. 
They are humbled because God is doing amazing things. And they are proclaiming Jesus. Jesus is the reason. Jesus is the power. The Spirit is gusting among them. And it's pointing people to the life-giving reality of Jesus. These signs and wonders, they are opening people up, humbling people to hear and receive the good news of the gospel. And I want you to know, some of you are probably thinking, probably thinking, well, does the Spirit still work like that today? Maybe that's a question. I want you to know that I do. I believe the Spirit still moves in ways like this today. I believe that the Spirit will gust. The wind will gust. That signs and wonders continue to happen, even still today. And, and here's one thing that I think is an interesting thought. When you, when you read the book of Acts, when you study the book of Acts, what you'll see is that there's always manifestations of the Spirit's power. These extraordinary workings of the Spirit, these gusts of the wind, whenever the gospel is breaking new ground. So like what we see here is we see the gospel is breaking ground in Jerusalem. And the Spirit is showing up in powerful ways, opening people up, humbling people to their need for Jesus. And then the, and the apostles take the gospel even further, right? From, out from Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria. The gospel moves forward to Samaria, and then it moves forward from Samaria. It moves into Antioch by Acts chapter 13, and then we see it move to Asia Minor. And every time the gospel is breaking new ground, the apostles are accompanied. Their ministry is accompanied by gusts of the wind, by the extraordinary manifestations of the Spirit's power. It's really interesting. My experience has been the same thing. That is, the gospel is breaking new ground, even in the world today. It's often accompanied by these amazing stories of God, of the Spirit's power, humbling people and, and waking them up and opening them up to the message of Jesus. And so there are strong gusts of the Spirit's power producing awe and forming and fueling this community into a worshiping community, humbled and devoted to Jesus. And then I want to point your attention to verse 47 and verse 46 and 47. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their home, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. So it's this picture of worship and prayer and joy and gratitude being, uh, being produced among this new church. And so what we can't overlook in this summary statement is that not only is the Holy Spirit manifesting its power in extraordinary ways, but the Spirit is manifesting its power, producing something new in God's people in ordinary ways. There are ordinary manifestations of the Spirit in our lives. And Luke tells us that they are experiencing new life of the Holy Spirit in everyday ways. There is joy being produced in them and gladness and gratitude. As they live day by day. In fact, the Apostle Paul later on in the scriptures gives us a category to really understand the ordinary power of the spirit in our everyday lives. He calls them the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit. And as he says, as we learn to walk in the spirit, as we learn to set our mind on things above, not on things of earth, the spirit will produce in us things like love and joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, Self-control. The Spirit will, His power will produce in us, in our ordinary lives, the new life of Christ in us. Why? To help us, one, live into the new life of Jesus, and two, empower us to be a witness, to be light in a dark world, to have something that the world doesn't have. Why? We have Jesus and we have His Spirit. In fact, I want to just read to you from Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 11, Paul 
is teaching a very basic elementary understanding of the Spirit. And I want you to hear what he says as he explains the Holy Spirit. In verse 1, he says, Therefore, so in light of what Jesus has done, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law, that word is principle, the, the, the law, principle of the, of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law, the principle of sin and death. And so he's saying upon faith, you've been indwelt with God's spirit and you've been set free from that old life of sin and death. You've been actually set free and given the spirit that wants to lead you and guide you into new life of the spirit, the life of Christ. Go down to verse five, skip down to verse five. He says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their mind on the things of the flesh. So those who, who don't know Jesus and don't have the Spirit live for the carnal things of the world. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. Look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Look at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your human bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He's essentially saying the spirit's purpose given to you is to produce the new life of Christ in you. What he's saying is because of what Jesus has done for you, the Holy Spirit is given to you as you walk by the Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit. The indwelling Spirit is working every day in ordinary ways to help you put off sin and bear the fruit of Christ. And we certainly see this happening among the first church in Acts chapter 2. The blueprint is clear. We cannot be Jesus' people apart from the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our midst. We need the power and presence of the Spirit to manifest in our lives in ordinary ways. We need the Spirit to redirect us whenever we start to kind of go back into some of those old patterns and old ways of the flesh. We need the Spirit to bring peace to our hearts when we're troubled and anxious. We need the Spirit to convict us of sin. We need the Spirit in our ordinary everyday life to remind us that we should love our coworker, that we should love our boss, or that we shouldn't get too up in arms about a 10-year-old basketball game that, that, that you're coaching and that you lose, right? This is me yesterday. I need the Spirit. We need the Spirit to produce the new life of Christ in us in ordinary ways every day, and we need the Spirit to gust in our midst, to manifest among us, to, to humble us that we might worship Jesus and see him as most Central in all things. Church, we need the Spirit to move across this room every time that we gather together, whether it's a breeze or a gust. We need the empowering presence of the Spirit to bear fruit in our everyday lives. We need more of Him. We should want more of Him. We should pray, fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill us. But if we're going to pray that prayer, it requires that we ask what might be keeping us from more of the Holy Spirit. What might be keeping us from more of the Holy Spirit? Which is my final, final point this morning. The Holy Spirit, we must realize, is a person. The Holy Spirit is the third person of a triune God. It's a person. And like any relationship, a relationship must be cultivated. And so I want to close this morning by us considering what it might look like to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit. If we're going to be a spirit-filled church that witnesses to Jesus' saving and life-giving power 
in our lives, we must cultivate a sensitivity to the Spirit's presence in us every day and amongst us as we gather corporately. A sensitivity to the Spirit's presence. i got three things for you here. How can we better cultivate a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit? The first is this. I just want to say this. Let us never assume the Spirit's presence when we gather. Like, like let's not just assume that the Spirit is going to fill us when we gather, but that we would actually pray week in, week out as we gather together. Spirit, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, fill us. Holy Spirit, meet us. Holy Spirit, give us your kind and tender presence. Stir up our affection for Jesus. Keep us from going through motions and doing religious activity. Warm our cold hearts. Holy Spirit, come. Let us not assume his presence when we gather. Number two, let us learn to tune our ears to hear from him in our daily lives. I was thinking about this this week as I was preparing for this message. I think the word that that we need to come to terms with and even start to pray is yield. Holy Spirit, help me to yield to you in my daily life. I don't know about you, but I bet you're a lot like me and that we tend to be pretty self-sufficient people and we can go through our everyday life and just blow through our days and never once consider, Holy Spirit, what what are you saying to me today? Holy Spirit, what opportunities are you giving me today? Holy Spirit, in what ways are you nudging me today? You know, there is a shyness to the Holy Spirit, and I mean that in in the most honoring way, not in a disparaging way. There is a shyness to the Spirit, and it requires that we tune our ears and that we listen to the Spirit in our everyday life. We don't just blow through the yield signs that he puts up in front of us. And so Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 speaks to this. Paul basically says, if we live by the Spirit, in other words, if life, the life of Christ is produced in us by the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, let us also, what does he say? Keep in step with the Spirit. That we learn to hear Him and walk with Him. Tune our ears to the Spirit in our daily lives. And then number three, maybe most important, If we're going to cultivate a sensitivity to the spirit in our lives and amongst us, let us be careful that we do not grieve or quench the Holy Spirit through willful sin. I want to just give you two verses of scripture to chew on. The first comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. And this is where Paul is specifically talking about sexual sin or sins that we commit with our bodies, with our physical bodies. So you can think of any kind of indulgence here. And he says this, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. I mean, what a thought, what a thought that your body is not your own anymore because of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ and your body is now the very dwelling place of God's spirit. And so when we willfully sin with our body, it's like we are vandalizing the home of God's presence. And the scriptures tell us that our sin grieves 
the Spirit's heart. Remember, he's a, he's a person. And so Paul's, Paul says here, glorify God. Live, glorify Jesus. That's why the Spirit was given to you, to help you glorify Jesus in your everyday life. And so don't willfully sin. Don't walk in sin, but, 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 um, but, but obey Jesus. That's what the Spirit is working to produce in you. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. We're told here very clearly that our sin can grieve the Spirit. Ephesians 4, 29 through 32 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That word grieve is, is sad. Don't, don't sadden or sorrow the Spirit. Did you know that, your sin, that our, sin, our sin brings sorrow to the Spirit within us? It grieves Him. His sole purpose is to manifest the life of Christ in you. He's given to you. He loves you. He's committed to you. And he's working to produce the life of Christ in you. And so when we ignore him, when we don't listen to his promptings, when we don't respond to his conviction, it grieves him. He's saddened. Verse 30. Don't grieve the spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The spirit is in you. The spirit isn't going anywhere. The spirit will keep you until Jesus returns. But you can grieve him. 1 Thessalonians 5 says that we can quench the spirit. It's this idea of we can extinguish or we can, uh, we can put out its power because of our sin. That's a sobering thought. I want to ask you to cons- consider this morning how your sin, maybe sin with your body, sin with your words, that's what Ephesians 4 talks about, our sin with our words and our speech, has it grieved the Holy Spirit? Perhaps has it quenched the spirit in your life? I want you to know that the kindness of God towards you is this, that the Holy Spirit whom our sin grieves, that Holy Spirit will also convict us in moments like this. The Spirit will correct us. The Spirit will invite you toward repentance. It will redirect you toward obedience. What a gift of God. What a gift of Jesus to be given the Spirit who invites us back into obedience, back into the life of Christ, who ushers us into the grace of God offered to us in Jesus. And so here's how I want to close this morning. I just want to ask you a question. Would you, maybe better yet, a series of questions. And would you consider these questions honestly this morning? Just wherever you're at, would you consider them honestly? Do you desire to cultivate more of a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you consider that? Just honestly, right where you are. Are you, are you, are you hearing this this morning? And are you thinking, man, I, I want more of the Spirit's empowering presence in my life. And I, I like, I, I want more of peace that surpasses all understanding rather than anxiety and fear. I, 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 want, I want gifts of the Spirit. I want the Spirit to help me. There's a lot of things God's put in front of me, parenting, work, ministry, whatever it might be, that I just don't know if I can do it in my own strength. I need the Spirit to help me and to give me power to walk in a calling that he's given to me. Do you, do you want to hear his voice? Are you just kind of like, I'm tired of my own thoughts. I'm tired of kind of being the Lord of my own life. I'm kind of making a mess of things. I need to hear the Spirit's leading in my life. Do you want more of that? I do. Do you desire more of his filling? Do you desire more of his power and his presence when we gather here week by week? If that's you, I, I just want to invite you to stand with me as we close. Just if you want more of the Spirit in your life, would you just stand with me as we close? I want to invite you to stand. I want to invite you to just open your hands like this, even just as a sign of being open to the Holy Spirit, to more of the Spirit in your life. Just open your hands like this. And I just want to, I want to pray over us. Let's pray. Almighty God, 
Almighty God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we come to you now and we want more of you. We want more of your empowering, life-giving presence in our lives. We ask, we pray that you would forgive us, God, for how we fail to yield to your Holy Spirit. Forgive us, God, for the quenching of your power. Forgive our sins that have grieved your Holy Spirit within us. We invite you to open our eyes. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to guide our vision. Would you help us to see what you see? Would you help us right now in this moment to see the Father's love for us that was poured out for us through the Son, Jesus Christ? Fix our eyes on Jesus, Holy Spirit. Satisfy our souls in Jesus, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we invite you to guard our tongues. Your word is clear in Ephesians 4 and 1 Thessalonians 5 that our tongues can both grieve and quench the Spirit. And so would you guard our tongues and guard our speaking, guide our speaking. Let our words be abounding in truth. Would our words build up? Would our words, because we are the people of Jesus, would they give life and encouragement? Would our words praise you day in, day out, despite our circumstances with joy and gratitude and awe for who you are and what you've done for us, oh God? Help our lips to be filled with stories of your mercy in our lives. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to guide our hearing. We open our ears to you this morning. We ask you would, you, would you open our ears, awake us to hear your voice. Hear you speak both in thunderous ways and in the stillness of our hearts. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, we are listening. And finally, Holy Spirit, we invite you to lead us forward as a church. We trust you, we cling to you, we lean on you. Bring us together in unity, even in diversity as a church, Holy Spirit. Produce in us manifestations of your spirit that we would witness to the fact that you're alive, Jesus, and that you're working in us and that you're saving and adding to our numbers day by day. We want to witness to your resurrection until the day that you lead us home. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Breathe upon us, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.